You've been waiting for the call. The call is coming in. Your line of communication to news, intel, and analysis, transmitting to ground stations anywhere on the globe. You're on the sat phone. Go. This is Joe Ride and Tuboku. Tuboku calling in. How are you today, sir? I'm doing good, brother. I had to get out of my bunker and go mobile. Things have been hot over in Ukraine, and I got to give all credit to Tuboku, but Tuboku predicted down to the day uh, that, you, that Ukraine would get invaded by Russia. I mean, there, there is no better analyst in this world. Tuboku called it minimum a month before it happened, and I would argue it was probably... Uh, probably two months, and there was some weather delays and all that, but but you had to reevaluate. But 100% a month prior to the invasion of Ukraine, Tuboku nailed it. Yeah, I appreciate it, brother. It was all, uh, I mean, the indicators were hiding in plain sight. You know, it's, you know, who, you know who didn't nail it was the four-star and three-star generals and all the, the talking heads, you know, with multi-million-dollar contracts. It's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I feel like we're we are in a we are in a, a a period now in our media and world where people just think that the outcome is what they want it to be and not what it actually is, and uh, I think they were just they were convinced uh, that nothing would happen. But um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think the the indicators were there. It was pretty obvious. And frankly, Putin basically telegraphed it and and, and told everybody what he was going to do. I mean, it wasn't a surprise. I don't even think he was hiding it. He did. The, uh, the Institute for the Study of War <clears throat> released a white paper in 2014. Don't get me wrong, I love General Keene, but General Keene is, um, he's, you know, he's part of that mainstream media now. And, um, but in 2014, Putin, Putin telegraphed exactly what he was going to do. You already knew with Georgia and Crimea, you know, he... You know, those were sort of reconnaissance and force, just sort of testing what, what he, looking for reactions. Um, and he got the reactions he wanted. I mean, not only did, you know, we call it right down to the, the day and almost the hour, but we also called, you know, you, if you looked at <clears throat> how he was amassing troops on the, the eastern border and up north with Belarus and down south with the amphibious landing forces, it was obvious he was going to take at least, you know, three, you know, three lines of approach, and and that's exactly what he's done. And he's he's made some mistakes. Um, I think I don't think it's Putin. I think it's the lack of experience with the, with, with the with the Russian army. Um, you know, you got platoon commanders that have never heard a shot fired in anger. You know, you got a first lieutenant that's never heard a shot fired in anger. You know, and half of their years. half of their soldiers don't even want to be there because they're conscripts. And yeah. Ukraine didn't do anything to them. So there's no will to fight. I mean, there's just no will to fight. They're going yeah. into a neighboring country. They probably know people there. There's just no will to fight. The goal tonight is to give a quick hit on, on Ukraine. What's the current status? And then really, where do we think this is going forward? How is this going to play out? Uh, and then we'll pivot into what this looks like as it expands into uh, the second phase, which is likely to be an invasion of Taiwan by China. And we yeah. think that Taiwan and uh, that we think that that uh, Xi Jinping and Putin are coordinating. Uh, if not formally, there's a, a little bit of a wink and a nod as to how this is all playing out. Um, well, don't forget, we called that before the Olympics, brother. You know, there's another Putin. prediction that, that definitely came through was was 
Tuboku knew that as soon as as soon as the Olympics were over in China, that Putin would make his move. And our current prediction in general is that once things start getting hot in in Ukraine, um, I mean, obviously they're already hot, but once once things start getting really, really established, I would say probably in Tuboku, you correct me on this, but probably once 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 Putin really gets his his grips into Ukraine, right, where where he's he's taken over enough of the country that it's not really active combat or it's not an active invasion at that point. It's more of a occupying. Yeah. Uh, then probably we'll see some action from China, right? Yeah. So, the, I mean, the current state, I mean, we called it pretty well. Um, the thing that is concerning me most now that is the amount of outright lying and propaganda and gaslighting coming from everybody. Russia's lying, Ukraine's lying, we're lying, Europe's lying. Everybody is just, it's all gaslighting. It's all, you know, they're all, Putin's a madman. He's not thinking rationally. You know, I heard someone that I used to respect, you know, talking about, he's not thinking rationally. He's going to use nuclear weapons. And they're gaslighting people. People are buying into this bullshit. You got to be really careful because there's so much bullshit going around on the internet now. You know, this is a social media war. Um, you know, it's the first time that, you know, you got, if you, if you've got a phone, you're an embedded reporter. So, you know, this is a, a social media and you, and our listeners have to be really careful about their sources because they're, they're going to be told a lies from Russia, lies from Ukraine, lies from the United States, lies from Europe. Um, got to be careful. So, but the things we do know are that. Kharkiv and Kiev have been have been surrounded. So these units linked up in those pincer movements, and those those cities are surrounded. And Russia's pouring in another hundred thousand troops to for the main assault on Kiev. Odessa and Kharkiv are taken by Russian amphibious forces this morning. Marpol's fallen. Uh, other cities. That were that were on the line of attack, they've all fallen. We said, I think, Joe, a couple of days ago, we said that Putin is purposely not trying to raise cities. He wants to put Zelensky in a position where, look, don't force me to take the gloves off. So what Zelensky has done is Zelensky's given out, you know, ten thousand AK-47s to civilians who may or may not have any military experience whatsoever. And then he released rapists and murderers from Ukrainian prisons as long as they had military experience. So my concern is, what accounts for the rise of civilian deaths? Is it Russian troops? Mm -hmm. Or is it all of these criminals that Zelensky has released from prison and given them AKs and, and kit? So that's where we're at. I mean, Russia's getting slowed down a little bit. You know, one of the things we talked about early on, Joe, was we talked about winter, right? And Putin had to get in there before the ground began to thaw. Or he was going to suffer the same fate as the Wehrmacht and Napoleon, right? That ground was going to thaw, and then mud was going to be up to the door handles. 
And that's pretty much where he's at. That's the reason that the Russian army, they're having to stay on surface roads. They can't get off the surface roads. With their, even with their tanks, they can't get off the surface roads because the weather just delayed and delayed and delayed. And that's the point where the ground is beginning to thaw and he has to stay on the surface roads. He can't he can't spread out like he wants to. And so that's why that's why you're seeing these really long convoys and that's what's allowing the Ukrainians, either, you know, militia or, or military or whomever to to cause sabotage or destruction of these long military convoys, like the fuel trains and all that. Yeah, and I, I think that the save this is so I think that, that Putin's savior is gonna be there's going to be the Belarusian dictator Kachinko. He wants in this fight. In fact, I, if you look at the IFF markers, IFF is identified friend or foe. In every battle, you put IFF markers on your vehicles so that friendly aircraft don't bomb you, right? And, or if you got special forces that are calling in artillery, they look at your IFF marker and they don't call in artillery on you. The IFF markers haven't really changed that much. And when you go back and you look at the initial invasion and you start looking at some imagery, you're seeing IFF markers with Belarus markers on them. So Belarus was actually part of the original invasion from the north. Lachinko gave a briefing yesterday morning with his general staff. And what caught my attention was a map that he was standing in front of, Joe. And it showed the lines of attack and it showed where Belarus forces were. The interesting thing was it showed Belarus and Russian amphibious forces invading Moldova. Mm-hmm. That, was yeah, actually on, that was actually on the map. So that, that caught my eye. I blew it up a little bit and looked at it. <clears throat> my question is, is Putin... Is he thinking about pivoting to Moldova? And if he is, then that makes this a much bigger issue than just Putin saying, I'm invading Ukraine to protect Russians. It becomes huge at that point, right? The other thing, Joe, that, that, our, that our, our listeners um, may or may not know is Belarus just passed a resolution that allows them now to have nuclear weapons on Belarus soil. Right. They were nuclear free. They passed a resolution. They're no longer nuclear free. That allows Putin to put tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus soil. And it may even, if Belarus wants them, get their own nuclear weapons. That changes the geopolitical optic in a really big way. At some point, Putin's going to have to decide how he's going to administer Ukraine. So he's probably going to have to do sort of the same thing we did in Iraq and we did in Afghanistan. He's going to have to break it up into administrative areas. Um, Afghanistan, we had six administrative areas. Iraq, we had four. He's going to have to break it up into these administrative areas. If he does that, then that tells us we were right in our original assessment that Putin is going to occupy Ukraine and he's going to install a puppet government. He's not just about those eastern pro- the, the mm. pro- breakaway breakaway provinces. He's after the entire country. If Moldova 
is in his sights. He may be trying to reconstitute the Baltic states back into the Russian Federation. That changes the, the geopolitical situation in Europe in a really big, and we called all of this, Joe. We called every single one up. The other thing we called, I know you you asked me the cyber attacks in Taiwan to power outages. Don't forget, six hours after Russian T-14s rolled across the border into Ukraine, Xi Jinping ordered an overflight of bombers and fighters into the Taiwan airspace. Mm-hmm. So I think you and I have talked about this before. I think we've called that in some of our posts. Look for China to open up the second front in the Pacific. I think that's going to happen in pretty short order within the next three to six months. Sounds like a long time, but when you start talking about international you know, politics and, and stuff, that's pretty short order. And let me let me ask you this: Why why would they wait? Are they waiting to let Putin entrench himself and 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 essentially consume our attention and our resources in yeah. Eurasia? Yeah. So the reason the the reason that they would wait is because they want to give they want to give the situation in U- Ukraine time to settle down and get Putin a chance to start administering Ukraine. And if he's going to pivot to Moldova. That takes all of NATO's attention off of China because right now, you know, NATO and the European Union, when you're such a travesty, stop believing the bullshit about the travesty in Ukraine, too. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. But what they what that does is that gets even more attention in on into the European theater. And then China can just quietly, you know, start making incursions into the Taiwan Straits. Once you start seeing Chinese naval forces making incursions into the Taiwan Straits, that's your indicator that they're getting ready to invade Taiwan. The overflights are one thing, but once the naval forces begin to challenge the 5th Fleet and the 31st Mew into Taiwan Straits, that's your indicator that you've got about two weeks before, before China invades Taiwan. So those are indicators you want to look out for. So, you know, when you look at the map, if we go back to Ukraine for a minute, when you go back to the map and you mentioned something about the Russians might, you know, want to reconstitute the, the control of those Baltic states. You know, when you look at the map, those three Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, I mean, they've got all, it's all shoreline with the Baltic Sea. And when, yeah, you, and when you look at, when you look at Russia, it, it really has a very small shoreline. They, they don't really have great access to ports. Yes, you're right. And and so it's easy, you know, especially when people start talking about, oh, Putin's a madman, Putin's a madman. He might be a psycho, but he's not a madman in the sense that he's he's acting irrationally because when you look at it, you look at what, what is successful about the United States. Well, obviously, we've got a form of government that has has enabled entrepreneurialism and, and, and liberty and, and all those wonderful things we have, but we also happen to have coastlines on on two sides of our of our country I mean, we have access to the pacific and the atlantic ocean we can trade with almost anybody we can go north we can go south we can go east we can go west um when you look at russia they don't really have that access to ports which really limits them in terms of commercial trade it does and if they were able to get those baltic states back now they have control over all those ports uh on the i guess you know the northern side 
And on the southern side, like you said, by taking Crimea and now taking Ukraine, they've got now access, like a significant port access into the Black Sea. Yes. It really opens up their, their ability to control trade. Exactly. And it's interesting that you bring that up. They now have the ability to control shipping in that region of the world and enforce whatever rules they want to enforce with their Navy the same way is trying to control the shipping lanes through the South China Sea. And the same way that Iran is trying to control the shipping lanes in the Persian Gulf. Persian Gulf. Yep. Right? So it all comes down to control of, of, of global trade because that's really where your power is because now you control global economy. It It's the same reason that they want to take the reserve status of the United States dollar out of the out of the global world they don't want oil trading in dollars because that reserve currency status allows us to essentially control you know almost all global economic decisions no nope, exactly you know here on the sad phone we're not fans of putin we're gonna go ahead and say that now yeah but, not at all. <laughs> but we're also we're also not fans of people who want to uh boil things down in, into over simplicity i mean he's not a madman in the sense that he's acting irrationally he he knows what he's doing he's got a perfectly well, I'll say re- reasonable. I, I what I mean is, I mean, he, there's a rational, there's a rational order to what he's doing, how he's doing it, when he's doing it. This is all very calculated, and it's not insane. It's not insanity. It's calculation, and we may not like it, and we may think he's a bad guy, but he's pretty orderly and pretty calculated. Well, one of the things that's important to understand when you start listening to you know, these four-star generals and three-star generals and all these guys who profess to be experts. Look, I'm no expert on, on freaking Russia. Early on in my Marine Corps career, I've, I've, I've had occasion to, uh, I've had occasion to interface with the Spaznots. <laughs> um, <laughs> interface. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping up foreign relations kind of thing. <laughs> um, understand, phone listeners, whenever you hear these guys talking, they're judging Russian airland battle tactics from a Western optic. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not how we would do it. Why are they doing it the way we would do it? It's because they don't fight the way we fight, right? They don't think that way, right? They, they just don't think they, their airland battle tactics are completely different from ours. I think that these guys know that. But it's all part of the gaslighting. And you have to remember that you're now being gaslit. You're in a war for propaganda. You're in a war for control of, uh, of opinion. you got to remember that. The Russian military doesn't fight the way we fight. They never have. They never will. And, the, and these guys on, on the talking heads... They're judging the Russian military based on how we would do it. And they just don't do it that way. That's something to, to keep in mind. And when, and when we get to China, and we're going to get there, China doesn't do it the way we do it either. But you're right, Joe. Putin's not a madman. He's not mentally unstable. This is all part of a calculated plan. For instance, some of the gaslighting, right? One of the things that I heard this morning was that Putin fired his chief of the general staff, which is equivalent to the chairman of Joint Chiefs, Joint Chiefs, right? 
that is colossally untrue. That just didn't happen. That rumor was getting around the mainstream media, and it got shut down. It had to get shut down real quick because people were throwing the bullshit flag on that. So be careful what what these guys are saying. So the current status, if we're going to boil it down, the current status in Ukraine is that the Russians are methodically executing their military strategy. It may not look like uh, they're winning, or it may not look based on the the media messages that we're getting that they're winning. You're seeing a lot of uh, stories about Ukrainians, you know, going for joy rides in Russian tanks. You're seeing Russian tanks uh, be destroyed. You're hearing stories about Russian soldiers that are abandoning their their positions and and being captured and all that. And some of those things may be maybe very well true. Um, but we, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't think that the Russians uh, started their invasion in Ukraine with their full force and might. They did not. So they were basically penetrating. Uh, potentially trying to come in and not look like violent conquerors, right? Hoping that people would lay down weapons or just just roll over for the Russians uh, with intent basically to have significant military force come in at a later stage. Exactly. It was a follow-on force. All the things what we called, we were right. This is all pre-assault fires, right? It's a reconnaissance in force. They want to see how much resistance they're going to get. And based on the amount of resistance they get, they bring in more forces. And that's what that was. Putin understands, guys, it's just another proof of what Joe is saying, that Putin's not a madman. He understands once Zelensky sues for peace, and I'm sticking I'm sticking by my, my prediction, Joe, Zelensky is going to sue for peace this week or next week. And Putin understands that once he does that, he's still got to administer to Ukrainian civilians. And dropping friggin' Moabs on downtown Kiev mm. is not the way to do that. Mm. But I think that Zelensky is, I think Zelensky is purposely forcing Putin to take the gloves off. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it looks looks like that. I think they were hoping that Zelensky would flee, and he chose not to. They were hoping that he was going to. Um, I, and, and to be perfectly honest, I have to admit, I, I was I was wrong about something. I thought Zelensky had probably made some type of of power sharing deal or something, and that's why he felt safe to come back. He's got to know they're not going to win, unless uh, unless he really truly believed that NATO was coming to his aid. I don't know. How, how do you feel about this? We know that they've always wanted a war over there, right? The yeah. the, the elite class they they want a war, absolutely. Um, and so they they've shown us in the, at least in my lifetime they get what they want. They they always they always get what they want, and so you're seeing now this resistance. They're trying to keep this going. They don't want the Russians to be able to uh, fully take over Ukraine, which is fine by me, of course. But what you're seeing is now you're seeing NATO start to to act. Uh, a little bit more aggressively, uh, they're starting to act like um, they need to now. They're having uh, over-air patrols. They're building up forces in Poland. The French yeah. are sending troops to, uh, where was the last time I read? They were bringing them in. I can't remember where they were. If they were going to Slovakia or Romania or something like that. They never going um, to Lithuania. Lithuania, maybe. So, um, you know, you've got British troops. you got French troops. And, and uh, 
I don't know. It just seems like they're really, really trying to, uh, you know, to push it, to escalate. Um, yeah. <clears throat> One of the things that, that scares me, Joe, but Zelensky has asked for an enforcement of a no-fly zone by the United States. Folks, that is a colossally bad idea. When you start putting U.S. fighter aircraft enforcing a no-fly zone against Russian fighter aircraft, there's going to be an incident. If you force a situation where a U.S. pilot is going to have to shoot down a Russian aircraft or a Russian aircraft is going to have to shoot down a U.S. aircraft, that's how World War III gets going. Mm. And if Obama decides that that's what he's going to do, then uh, stock up on cases of water, stock up on long-term food supplies, because it's about to get ugly. Um, that that's I can't I can't stress enough how a no-fly zone is the tipping. That's that's the line that you can't you can't return from that because what was that movie? What was that? What was that line in in the Hunt for Red October? Having your 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 ships and our ships in such close proximity to one another is how wars get started. Yeah, and well, I, I mean, so far the U.S. government has has basically said we're we're not going to do that. I mean, they're not going to they're not going to do that yet. But who knows? I mean, it, it all depends. I mean, it, yeah, but, you know, that's so, why, this is why I don't you know the propaganda of we're not going to do. I, I don't so, buy Bob, anything. Like you said at the beginning of this episode, Tuboku, they're lying, we're lying, everybody's lying. Exactly, <laughs> and it makes it hard you know, for our listeners. It makes it really hard for Joe and I. To, to filter out the bullshit so we can we can we can give you what we what we can prove and and that's really really hard because there's just so much bullshit flying around that you really can't trust any of it so you know you got to start digging in and triple checking and 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 things like that one thing I will say Joe you're right about the us so far has decided, we're not going to enforce in a fly zone, but I go back to what you just said right before that. NATO is starting to act more aggressively. Mm-hmm. So what happens if the UK or France or Poland decides they're going to put fighter aircraft up and, and enforce in a fly zone? Russia splashes a NATO aircraft. That's an attack on a NATO country. Boom, Article 5 now gets enacted. Right. We're in World War Three. Right. And and the Poles, I mean, they already do have aircraft flying all over Poland, and yep. you know, it's. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they know where the borders are, but still, it's it's very easy for an accident to happen. Um, Absolutely, and that, that's what's scary, is you know, that that accident, that accident, you know, Gulf of Tonkin, you know, that 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 one accident to start World War Three. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that Putin is trying to go as far as he can without triggering a, a conflict with NATO with, Absolutely. And, and the world? But do Absolutely. you think, right, so he's trying to push the envelope. Do you believe that he actually wants to cross that line and go into conflict with, with Western Europe and, and the United States? I don't know, Joe, I don't believe he wants to do that. What I what I truly believe is he he wants to put up barrier 
from NATO pushing any further east. Mm-hmm. If you if you listen to every single one of his speeches, every single press conference that he's done, every single time he, he always always stresses NATO pushing east, NATO mm-hmm. pushing east. We that's and and he always talks about NATO being a puppet of the United States, mm-hmm. which is sort of true. It is definitely true. But he's always talking about NATO pushing east sort of sort of puts the Russian bear backed up in a corner. Mm. And and he's right about that. So I don't think he wants I don't think he wants a confrontation with NATO. And this is not a popular point of view, and I've I've only heard it from a couple a couple of folks. NATO I, what Putin's trying to do is prevent a war with NATO by stopping that expansion east because he, he, he has to defend his interest as much as we have to defend ours. And that continuing push east by NATO, that is a real threat to Russia. You know, like Joe said, folks, we don't like Putin. Putin's an asshole. All right. He is a, he is an evil KGB agent to his heart, but Putin's playing six-dimensional chess here. He's not interested in a war with NATO. What he is interested in is he's interested in stopping that eastward expansion. That's that's his interest. And and you listen to you know all of his speeches. That's his line in the sand. And and. You know, it's not a popular view, but he's right. Yeah, I, I, you know, again, I mean, we're we're not we're not rooting for Putin, but at the same time, we understand that actually this this is this is evidence that he is a rational actor. He basically has been making a lot of noise. He's been banging pots and pans. He's been yelling and screaming, and he doesn't feel like it was effective. And so he's invading Ukraine. He's you know, basically, he's he's taking his shirt off and ready to fight, uh, but I don't believe that he actually really wants a full fight. I think it's still that peacocking right now, yeah, uh, and of course, that's I don't mean to minimize, you know, the the impact on the Ukrainians because I think, you know, for for the average the average you know Ukrainian or even the average Russian, they don't they don't want this. I mean, people want to watch Netflix, you know, absolutely. They, they, they don't want it. they don't want this stuff. It, it, but it's it's the Russian and Ukrainian oligarchs, right? Yeah. They're the ones that want it. Don't forget, our boy Zelensky's got a thirty-four million dollar mansion in Miami. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's don't don't believe it. I, I I'm not buying in all this all this altruistic bullshit with with Zelensky. Right. Not. Right. Yeah. I know. I know. It's like guy puts on a uh of you know an armor vest and and walks around the streets and now he's a hero. Yeah, and even some of the dates on the pictures. And videos of Zelensky, they were taken last year. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, come on, guys. I guess to go back to the top of the show, brother, we called it, and right now we're exactly where we thought we would be with respect to the Russian military's advancement into Ukraine and their envelopment of key Ukrainian cities. We're exactly where they thought they would be. So let's let's fast forward 
one week, two weeks, five weeks, whatever, whatever the right duration is. How does this play out in the near term? Uh, in, in the near term, Russia's, you know, right now it looks like they don't have their shit together, but they do. In the near term, Russia, Russia crushes, crushes the Ukrainian army. Um, they, they win. They take Kiev. They take Kharkiv. Um, and then they, they, they have to go about the business of beginning to administer Ukraine. That's short term. That's 45, 60 days out. You'll start to see the, the administrative areas get, getting formed um, and four-star Russian generals be put in charge, sort of like governors of these administrative areas. Mm-hmm. And then Putin will make his next move. We'll, we'll know um, if he's going to pivot to the Baltic states. I think that's next. Um, he wants to control those sea lanes. Um, that that I think that's next in, in 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 Belarus. Belarus wants to be part. You know they want to get in on this. So I I think that that it'll stabilize within the next you know thirty to forty five days. It'll stabilize. The rhetoric will calm down. Um, the the NATO, you know. The, the NATO flexing will, will will calm down and 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 Russia will begin you know they they will be at a point where they can begin with NATO leadership about the expansion of, of NATO to the east. Um I think at the end of the day it's all about leverage. It's all about and, leverage. And, yeah and if and if, if Putin is able to take chips that he didn't have before poker chips right he takes the takes the ukraine chip uh that's something he can negotiate he could take over all of ukraine and then he could uh very generously give back western ukraine in some type of brokered deal with nato where he's trading western ukraine for some other type of assurances still ends up with eastern ukraine and gets whatever agreement he wants from nato right i mean could 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 end up being something like that. He could keep the whole the whole damn thing. But I think but Joe, it, I think he'll keep the whole thing. I, I think that he needs Ukraine as that buffer between mm-hmm. between Western Europe and Well, I guess what I mean is he, he could he could if if well, I guess it would all come down to if he trusted it, but if, if he used Western Ukraine as the buffer um with assurances. You know, basically like, look, I'm gonna give Western Ukraine back to you. But I swear, if you even have a phone call with the NATO countries, we're coming back twice as hard. That, that yeah, okay, I, I see where you're going. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. He needs that buffer. He he, he needs that buffer. But but I think that in the next sixty days, you'll see probably the Baltic states will fall. NATO NATO will flex about that too. Um, but it, it'll stabilize. Um, I don't think I, I hear all these these you know fear mongers talking about nuclear war and you know Putin's got his finger on the nuclear trigger and <laughs> Putin is not going to use nuclear weapons. Um, he's he's a KGB agent. He grew up during the Cold War. He understands the concept of mutually assured destruction. Yeah, and and it was interesting, you know, Joe. I, I think we talked about how. You know, there were all these reports that he put his nuclear forces on alert. Um, what what folks need to understand is 
nuclear forces are put on and off alert all of the time. It's a drill, right? You, you spin up, you know, here's what it looks like whenever we, you know, we spin up and we, and we go to a higher threat level. They drill that all the time. But understand there's a deconfliction that happens. There are probably close to 100 phone calls that get made so that everyone understands, hey, we're spinning up our alert status. We just want you to know that that's all we're doing. We're not fueling. We're not putting, you know, we're not, you know, opening the, the silos. We're not doing it. We're just spinning up our alert status to see how long it takes us. And we'll call you whenever we spin it back down. There are about 100 phone calls that take place. And it, it happens all the time. It's, it's not unusual. So, you know, and, and that's, that was part of the propaganda, Joe, is there about, oh, my God, he put his, his nuclear forces on alert. Well, okay, we do it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Well, let's, so let's pivot. I think we've, we've, we've come to terms with what, what the Ukraine situation looks like. I mean, at the yeah, end of the day, at the end of the day, a couple weeks, uh, we're not making prediction here, but a couple weeks or months from now, we anticipate that Russia will fully control most or all of Ukraine. And there was possibly a meeting, Baltics. there was a meeting today in Belarus between Ukrainian and Russian officials on terms for peace. So the negotiations have already started. So that leads us to Taiwan. Taiwan being much more strategically important for the United States due to its manufacturing, electronics in particular, semiconductors, and uh, as well as as well as I guess being a democracy near China, uh, an ally near mainland China, um, as well as as sea lanes, right? Yes. We know that China's strategy or you know stated strategy has been one china and they consider taiwan theirs and there's not really much room for negotiation from their perspective <laughs> there is no room for negotiation yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough there there's no none exactly jping jping asked the g7 last week to declare taiwan part of china and and to hand over taiwan to beijing <laughs> I mean, that's how bold they are. I mean, that's where they are. We have a corrupt, compromised shit puppet <laughs> being controlled. You know, earlier in the episode, you said Obama, and I'm wondering if the audience thought that that was a slip of the tongue, but it was intentional. It was absolutely intentional. So we we don't think that nobody nobody who nobody thinks that Biden is making decisions. You know, he, he's got, I, I think I said something on, on our getter where he said that, uh, you know, Biden's out front and behind him is Obama with his hand up his ass controlling his mouth. And behind <laughs> Obama is like Soros with his hand up Obama's ass. Exactly. I don't know whose hands up Soros, maybe Satan, but Klaus, uh, somebody, Klaus, Klaus Schwab. Schwab. Uh, Satan's, Satan's at the, at the back of the line somewhere, but um, anyway, so uh you know, because he thought he was the most evil asshole around. <laughs> so the Ukraine situation, you know, is is playing out, and and China's watching this. And I think, I mean, they've, I'm sure they already have their plans in place, and it's really just about timing. Well, China controls, like you said, but China China controls the semiconductor market. You can say what you want; they could they control the semiconductor market. They also don't forget. 
whenever whenever Obama friggin' popped smoke and left $85 billion worth of American gear in Afghanistan, China moved in the next day with exclusive drilling rights for minerals and metals. Those minerals and metals are the exact minerals and metals that they need to produce semiconductors. Now they control all, they control, where did I read it in The Economist? They control about 90% of the world's uh, uh, raw materials to make semiconductors. And and not only that, but the tooling to, to yes. make to make those, I mean, the, the wafers and the circuits and all that, it's, it's, it's really complex and very, very expensive. And there's really nobody else in the world that can make it on a mass scale the way that Taiwan can. No, and, absolutely not. And, and don't forget, you know, the other thing to remember, boys and girls, all that semiconductor, all those materials that China controls, those are the very same materials that are used for dual-use technology. Um, if you don't know what dual-use technology is, it's the same technology that goes in the, into your freaking Xbox and PlayStation. That very same technology is the technology that goes into hypersonic missiles. What you're getting at is that by controlling the supply, the production manufacturer supply, you can basically prevent the United States from being able to maintain its missile fleet, its military fleet, its its, its technological prowess Absolutely. on the military side. So it's not just about not having the coolest new refrigerator or Xbox. No, it's that's that's the least of your words. You know, it's Putin already has a hypersonic missile, and he got the technology from the Skolkovo project that Hillary Clinton and Obama and Barack Obama and James Comey and Jim Clapper and John Brennan endorsed. They basically fortlifted Silicon Valley over to Russia in, into a project called the Skolkovo project, and they gave tax credits for Silicon Valley companies to go over to Russia and and teach them all about the technology and how it's mm. used. Mm. And then Russia comes up, you know, two years ahead of us with a hypersonic missile. The U.S. Air Force is still trying to field a hypersonic missile. Russia's already got one. And the and the advantage of the hypersonic is just the speed of, of speed of uh, 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 reaching its destination, right? I mean, right. you, you can't defend yeah, you, against you, it. There, there's no defense against a hypersonic missile. Mm. None. All right. So how do we think how do we think Taiwan is going to play out here? We think that the Chinese will take it. I think you said what sixty to ninety days. No, three three to six months. I think three to six months. Okay. China. All right. You'll, I think you'll start to see incursions by the Chinese Navy into the Straits of Taiwan and start challenging uh, the Fifth Fleet, the Twenty Six Mu, a little bit. Um, and within three to six, within within about three months, you'll start to see those. Chinese naval incursions into the Straits of Taiwan. And that's your indicator that China is spinning up to invade Taiwan. I don't think the U.S. will do any. I don't think Obama will do anything about it. So you anticipated my next question because what I was going to say was that there is, I, I won't say zero because, you know, there's a couple of neocons out there, but um, there is very little very little interest among the American population to go into Ukraine. Absolutely. There's, there's, you know, even, even there's not a lot of strategic value at all. Uh, yeah, fine. You can play this, you know, bigger argument about, you know, the resurgence of the Soviet Union or something, but for the most part, there's no strategic value there. Um, 
we're tired of war. We don't want that. And, you know, just no interest. Right. So as much as, as much as the, uh, you know, Obama group has been trying to generate a war with Russia for decade now or more, um, it just, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen unless they start invading Poland or something like that. Um, China is a little different. I think there's a little bit more nationalism in, in America. I think there's a little more anti-China sentiment. Um, I think there's a little bit more of a sense that there's a existential threat to the United States. And I worry that the propaganda there, and, 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 and frankly, the, the strategic piece about, you know, that we just talked about with the semiconductors, um, Taiwan is a very, very, very small place relative to the, to the mass of China or the United States, but it's really important. Do you think strategically Taiwan's critical, critical. And for that reason, do you think that there would be an easier sell to allowing direct military conflict? I think that a, the right president could sell it, but when you have a president and most of the political class in the United States are compromised by China, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't think they'll even try to sell it. You've hit on a point that's that's very important: is that there's so many. We'll call, I don't want to call them leaders because they're not, but there's so many elected officials or appointed officials in the United States that are just frank, just, just compromised. They're compromised either by money, they're compromised by blackmail, uh, or, or some compromised by ideology. But for those, for those reasons, they are not inclined to actually go toe-to-toe with Russia. I mean, sorry, with China. Um, you also have an American population that's watching our southern border just absolutely be... I mean, just, uh, I mean, it's been wiped away. There is no border. I was going to say, there's no border. I mean, there's, there's a border, but nobody's respecting it. And, um, and so I, I see this all the time online and it's a the valid points is that you'll see people say, I don't care about Ukraine because I care about our Southern border. I think the same argument will be applied if they start trying to push, push the need for a war in China. Um, well, absolutely. I mean, think about this. Russia, Putin has not compromised the NBA, the NFL, Disney, <laughs> Major League Baseball, um, uh, the entire Hollywood movie industry, and 90% of the political class in the United States. Putin hasn't compromised them. China has. China has so, so it doesn't it doesn't bode well it doesn't bode well for us because oh. because it's 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 not and here's what people need to understand if China took Taiwan your life isn't going to change dramatically overnight it's not going to change dramatically probably in the first three to six months That's a fact. but over time what's going to happen is the United States will slowly get squeezed and you won't even recognize it in ten years yeah. we don't recognize the United States. from 10 years ago yeah right we just don't this will be worse i think it's going to be a lot worse i think it's it's hard to be optimistic when you look at the cards we've been dealt and the and the player that we have holding the cards meaning meaning biden and the the misadministration 
So it's a little frightening right now. It's a little frightening. It's hard to see a way out. I hope that there is. I'm, I'm hoping that time, time is on our side. The longer China waits, the better uh, on that invasion because that gives us an opportunity to, in 2022, hopefully have a very overwhelming, maybe even veto-proof control of Congress. Uh, maybe that buys us in a little bit more time to get, uh, you know, an actual legitimate president into the White House. I don't think she waits till the 2020 midterms, Jeff. Uh, I agree. I agree. I, the, I think. I think that time is time is is on is time benefits us, and so if I know that, then so does Xi Jinping. Well, absolutely. When you think about who's who's compromised, he he understands. Like he had. Swalwell on the House Intelligence Committee sleeping with a Chinese spy for, what, five years? Mm-hmm. Dine Feinstein's limo driver turned out to be a, P, a PLA intelligence officer 20 years, right? Um, China owns, like we said before, China owns the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, Disney, Hollywood, and 90% of the political class in the United States. Jinping understands that if, if he waits to the 2022, he can read the tea leaves. If he waits to the 2022 midterms, he understands that there's going to be a shift in power in the Senate and in the House. And he's not going to be able to push around, you know, the, the Senate Select Committee on, on Intelligence or the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. He's not going to be able to push him around. He'll have Obama in the White House. But he won't be able. To, he won't be able to control Congress. We're not going to have the stomach to push back on China whenever they invade Taiwan. Because what do we always say that that Breitbart said? Politics is downstream of culture, right? And it's all about the NBA. It's all about the NFL. It's all about Disney. It's all about the the the, the entertainment industry, and they're all owned by China. Yeah. And I think it's going to be hard to convince a population that's just been, you know, went through two decades of war in Afghanistan and Iraq without feeling like there was any real purpose. You know, there was no, the outcome wasn't what we were sold on it. Uh, You know, we were sold that there'd be uh, these vibrant uh, terrorist-free democracies in Afghanistan and Iraq, and neither of those things ever came to fruition. In fact, it's as bad or worse now. Um, and then you went on with, you know, two years of COVID where everybody was locked down. And I mean, we think we're winning because we're barely getting back to the freedoms that we had two years ago. And we think we're winning because of that. Um, and so trying to convince an American population that's having a a Southern border that's been completely overrun, uh, to go to war with China, because if we don't do it now, we'll be too weak to do it when we need to. I think it's going to be a hard sell. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I do believe that, uh, you know, China is a much bigger threat. I've been talking about that too, Boku, you know, that I've been talking about that for a long, long time. And, you know, the problem with this type of thing, it's, it's like, uh, it's like not dealing with mold in your house. You know, if you don't deal with it when it's small, eventually it gets big and it's, it's just a much bigger, harder to tame problem. And I, I, that's the way I view China. China is not going to stop. They're going to keep growing. And um, at at some point, you know, at some point you either have to either have to beat them economically or you're going to end up going to war with them. But if you go to war with them when you're weak, you're going to lose. 
I know it's a topic for another episode, but our our military right now, I'm not sure we could beat Russia. Um, it, it just, you know, we get we go back, we start talking about the Emma recruiting video versus the Ivan recruiting video. Who's going to win that war? Right. I don't think we can beat China. You you saw what what was in the Washington Free Beacon today. The army is. You know, Russia's over getting combat experience and they're waging war. China's threatening Taiwan. What's the U.S. Army doing? The U.S. Army's forcing all their officers from second lieutenant to general to go to classes on on trans and LGBTQ and, and how to counsel their soldiers through transgender operations. Are you fucking kidding me? That's the U.S. Army right now? We're not in a position where we could actually take on one front, much less two. And that's why Putin has opened up the European theater and Xi's about to open the Pacific theater. Because they both know we are not in a position to oppose either one. All right, man. Well, hey, listen, it's always great for you to call in or me to call in. I'm not sure which one of us actually called in, but uh, it's always it's always good to get on with you. And, um, you know, I think our audience is more informed because of it. So follow us on Getter. You got at Tuboku or at Satphone. Follow us on Gab. Same handles. Tune in, subscribe, and we are really happy to have you here. And we will keep informing you, educating you, maybe even entertaining you. Thanks for joining us on the Sat Phone. Out. You've been on the Sat Phone. Don't forget to subscribe to the Sat Phone on your favorite podcast service. Until the next call, out.